Hello and welcome to episode four of the Rugby Hub podcast with me, your host, Luke Edwards. This week, I am joined by my younger brother, Liam Edwards. Now, Liam has had a varied rugby journey, starting off at Cranley RFC as an under 13, under 14, and he managed to reach all the way up into championship rugby with Yorkshire Carnegie. Throughout the podcast, we discuss his journey, any any tips for younger players wishing to reach the highest level. We also discuss sacrifices that he made. Uh, there's a few stories in between and really just a bit of a discussion about what it really takes to try and keep yourself at the highest level. Um, throughout the podcast, he, Liam's very open and very honest and it, it does, does make for a good listen into someone's journey and how varied and how different it can be from player to player. Just before we get into the chat that we had with Liam, I just want to give a massive shout out to Barnes Rugby Club. Now on May the 2nd, Barnes are taking part in their Big Lift Challenge, aiming to lift a million kilos in a day. Um, They're raising money for NHS staff, NHS key workers, and guys, it's an amazing cause. It's an amazing feat to have a go at. Um, I'm sure everyone's behind you. Uh, if you go to their Instagram page at Barnes Rugby Club or their website at barnesrfc.org, there's some videos there for you guys to check out. It tells you exactly what it's all about. And guys, good luck again on the day. Raise as much money as possible and everyone will be supporting you all the way. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Rugby Hub podcast. I am your host, Luke Edwards, and this week I am joined by my brother, Liam Edwards. Now, Liam, hi, mate. Hi, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad. How are you? Good. Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. Not bad. Good, good, good. Better than you okay. guys. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, right. Uh Obviously, you're all the way over in Hong Kong at the moment. Yep. Living in the high life, playing playing a bit of ruggers out there. What's led up to you being out there playing? Um, I think a mix for me. I mean, it was, you know, by no means was my professional career as, as anywhere near as glamorous as most. It was, you know, I didn't get any time in the Premiership or anything like that. The championship was as far as it span. But it was the taste that I did get. I mean, what's kind of led me to be out here um was initially um the reason why i got into professional rugby was through i guess the university circuit um picked up through university um that led to my initial first championship caps up up at leeds um then once i finished university moved on to, to eating trail finders um and then i guess what kind of led me to to hong kong um is is more I was at the, I guess I had a couple of of uh, injuries at the time, which had kind of kept me out for, for a long span. Um, and it was, it was more, more to do with the fact that, right, this is happening now. Um, when I get to my end of my career at say 35, 36, whatever, you know, what's my body going to be like then? And at the same time, am I going to have anything to show for it um, away from just kind of professional rugby? Um, and I just kind of took the conscious choice to take a step into the corporate world and, and move rugby to kind of semi-professionally part-time. Um, and Hong Kong, Hong Kong offered that. Hong Kong offered, you know, a good, a good uh, platform to, to get involved in the corporate world and at the same time continue a good, I guess, a, a good standard of, of semi-professional rugby as well. Nice, nice. Okay, in, so in you're in Hong Kong. Um, let's get, give us yep. a little bit of history. Where did it all start for you? Bugby wise, um, um, I guess initially for me as a kid, it was <laughs> I didn't want to know. Um, <laughs> rugby was never for me. I was kind of that, I guess, the chubby grunger <laughs> of the family. You'd probably call it. Um, I definitely was, um, and yeah, it was always. I think I just got into, kind of got into sport. I started playing cricket, um, and I remember playing cricket with with you, and that was kind of the first step for me getting into sport, and then. Shortly after that, I kind of, I guess, had a growth spurt, lost a lot of a lot of the chub, and realised that I could actually I could move. Um, <laughs> I wasn't just kind of you know wanting to play a, um, a low just, impact sport. I just remember being in you know like growing up, and I was there as you know what was I? 
I must have been a year nine, year 10. I think I was year 10. No, year 10 was I when you entered yeah. year seven or something like that. And yeah, three years. And I think you were you were taller than me or you were the same height <laughs> as me when you entered year seven yeah. and I was year 10. Now, I'm obviously, I'm six foot three, but, you know, at that time I was, what, six foot one maybe? And you entered yeah, as yeah. an 11-year-old at six foot, 11, 12-year-old is six foot tall. Um, <laughs> that led to you being the absolute giant you are at six, seven, six, eight. So, um, yeah, I remember that. I remember that fondly. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, a, I guess it was a weird time. I just kind of had a, had a random growth spurt. Um, but, I mean, if you laid all the pictures out of school pictures, you wouldn't be able to tell, tell who's who um, from those kind of four years, really. Um, and then, you know, you and dad had always been involved in, in rugby at Cranley. Uh, you know, it was kind of where you had grown up playing. It's where dad had coached, where dad had grown up playing, you know. And it was, I guess it was in the family roots, really, to, to kind of get involved. And it took, it took some pushing, um, I guess, from dad and you and, realizing that you know i did have um, i did have a couple of friends that were playing there as well that were you know in the local kind of school community so it just kind of made sense for me to, to try it out and when i did try it out it was <laughs> i guess that sudden realization that you are big for your age and you know you actually enjoy something when you're good at it right and <laughs> you're able to run around a park with kids uh, that you're bigger than you you start to start to enjoy it a bit more so that was kind of the first plunge that was where it kind of all started that's what I said about cricket. I said if I wasn't good at it, I wouldn't have played it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so obviously you played. What age group did you start? You started was it under fourteens? Yeah, I think it was under thirteens or under fourteens. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess for most people, it's quite quite late considering most people start at like what six, seven, eight. Yeah, yeah. So Cranley under thirteens, under fourteens. Um, yep. Played a few few years there. Then, then, yep. then, what, what was the progression from there? Where was the progression from there? Um, progression from there was, you know, as I'm sure you know, you're always kind of looking for for the next step. You start realizing, I guess, when you kind of hit 16, 17, you start to realize your your ability, where it can go. Um, uh, from there, I think I had a short stint at at Guildford, um, Guildford Rugby Club. Just played um, a short stint there with their Colts. And then from then moved on to, uh, I think that must have been around when I was kind of 17 and 18. Um, and then from then, um, had a season uh, at Isha, uh, where I joined their kind of academy. Now at the time, Isha's first team would have been in, in the championship. So they had, they had a pretty good setup. Um, you know, they had, a, they had a pretty good there. Um, a lot of good players. Um, uh, yeah, first team was, I guess, a professional outfit. Um, and... And yeah, I mean, that was probably, um, I guess that was probably the, where the realization was that, that I could actually um, maybe go somewhere with my rugby career. Um, that was where the kind of turning point was. Um, but yeah, then, um, yeah, then came Isha. Um, then when I moved on to university, um, uh, that's when it kind of all, all kind of took off. Um, I think it was my second year of uni, I ended up started training with uh, what was then they would have been called Leeds Carnegie, um, just kind of training affiliated with the uni, um, and then the following year ended up getting my uh, championship caps with the newly named Yorkshire Carnegie at the time, um, and then yeah, then the career kind of moved on from there. So from so obviously at college you were you were surrounded by people that were playing at Guildford Colts, hence the the you know the little move yeah. over. Um, yeah. So from from this is from my point of view. Obviously, you know, as a family looking in, I think you you sort of at college. I think found that realization that there was a gym. There was a gym that you could use every single day. <laughs> um, oh yeah, discovered gym. He's a good guy. Think, yeah, and and I think that you sort of got involved with the gym, and and from being that you know six foot six, six foot seven at the time, sixteen year old. You you then managed to transform using using that free platform that you had at college, and I think yeah. looking for in from the outside, you, that was the sort of notion that made you go, "Hang on, I am this size, I I can do this," and I think that's the yeah. way for you. The realization was actually I'm going to try and push myself further and further. So then, obviously, you're at Leeds Met Uni, and yep. um, is that is it called that now? What's it called now? Leeds Beckett now. Uh, changed in my last year of uni, yeah. Changed to Leeds yeah, Beckett. So, yeah, all right. Leeds yeah. Met Uni. And you're there. 
and playing Bucks, the top league of the Bucks stuff. Yeah, Bucks Prem um, would have been. Now, how many, like, you hear stories about this all the time, but how many freshers actually make it through the first teams in Bucks Prem? There's not many, um, is there? Most of these teams have a freshers side, which the freshers yeah. can go and play for and then introduce into second teams, first teams, etc. But what did yeah, you do? I think, I think, yeah, I went straight to straight to first team. It, it was, um, yeah, it, it was. I guess it's changed a little bit now at university. I think coming in um, at that freshers level, you don't necessarily have to go straight to the freshers team or whatever. You know, there's obviously scholarship programs and there's you no. Know, I would like to think of university now as kind of it's it's definitely a hotbed for for talent for for players in the Premiership. Like by far, you know, I think it's far superior than a lot of lot of things at the moment. Um, because you're you're picking up talent that's probably been missed at um, ace level or academy level or or whatever, which has had time to kind of grow with adult rugby and 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 enjoy that time as well. But yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, it I kind of showed up. I think there was three or four of us. Uh, in that freshers team that year that ended up playing first team. Um, the other second row alongside me, a guy named Sam Brady, big old Yorkshireman. Um, and then um, the, there was a couple of others that, that, that were in the backs that ended up um, joining us. But um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I guess, my first introduction into kind of what would be um, extremely competitive rugby. I mean, you know, there's no there's no knocking that, that kind of level of rugby at all. It is, it is kind of, it's essentially a professional setup. Uh, you know, you're training uh, almost full time <laughs> around your studies. Um, you know, it, it kind of becomes becomes that kind of first insight into what what being a full time athlete could be like at the time. So, at your athletes, Matt, how how did the how did the whole Yorkshire Carnegie thing come about? Was it was it just sort of the coaches come down watch you play or did they have some involvement with the university team how was it um so yeah the involvement was there um it was um a lot of the guys that first year a few of the guys that were already in their kind of second and third year would play um i guess british and irish cup games for them they would kind of rest their their senior player and they would look at the university and pull players and play those games to give them a taste of of uh, professional rugby um so that would happen um i never got that call in my first year um you know i think obviously being a new player you know that's a given um but uh come the end of that year i was asked to go train with them uh, and that was because uh the forwards coach uh, at the time at least funny he was was tom mcgee and he was our head coach um at uh at the uni as well um and there'd always been this kind of tight-knit um you know uh i guess um joint system going on between the two clubs you know i think it's familiar with a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of clubs now and that are in those bucks leagues they're almost act as a kind of feeder for the nearby professional clubs as well for players to step in but um yeah for me how it kind of worked was yeah i had a few training sessions with them got involved not not on a full-time basis kind of on a part-time basis was down there they had a i think they had a couple of injuries in the back row and second row um so i got invited to go train as cover um Ended up training uh, as kind of cover with them uh, for quite a while, actually, uh, pretty much um, the whole preseason for the following year. Um, and then that that year, um, that year I got I got asked to to play in the um, in the first few games, and yeah, ended up. Um, so I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. I remember, yeah. you, I remember you getting your first call call up for a game, and it was a preseason game down at Gloucester. Yeah, Gloucester, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just remember, yeah. like, mum and dad, proud as punch, you know. Uh, <laughs> or dad's like, oh, my God, my boy's made it, because obviously the failure that I was. And then, uh, <laughs> 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 obviously, I was joking, but, yeah, um, <laughs> boys made it. Um, and going down there, and then just, I think, it was a realisation, I think, for, for mum, dad, and, and me to go, he's done all right here. He's, you know, looking at the team <laughs> there, and then, what was it? I think the Gloucester's starting lineup. You had James Hook, Charlie Sharples. Who else did you have? You had Tom, Tom Palmer, Palmer. Um, Richard yeah, Hibbert. Yeah. Um, who's it? You had the the old Fijian guy. I can't never remember his name, but the was, Fijian uh, prop. Um, oh, the Fijian prop. And um, Greg Laidlaw was in there as well. Greg Laidlaw was playing. Yeah. Like it was, it was just <laughs> these international stars. And <laughs> yeah, got, like, I remember that game clearly. Just 
just surely just have a. He's been called because because he's been called up to train with someone. Like <laughs> it, <laughs> it was like fair play, fair play. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for you guys, it might have been it might have been being proud, but for me, I was you know, if I'm being honest, I was absolutely shitting myself. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was, how was that? You 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 got your first first game, um, yeah. for this championship side, and it's against the Premiership side in a in a preseason friendly. How what what was it like? What was the, what was going through your head before the game? Because obviously, like a Bucks game, you know, yeah, we all we all find a space to get into before, no matter what level you play, everyone finds their own motive, what gets them up for a game, you know. But at that level, going from playing, you know, just almost like club rugby, to be fair, like, you know, you're not getting paid for it, it's university rugby, everyone's like, it's yeah, and stuff. but what was it like on in that changing room for you going, uh, did the penny drop? Was it like, this is real? Playing, you know, playing Gloucester. This is this is it for me. Yeah, I think I think the penny dropped. <laughs> I think probably midway midway through the game, the penny probably dropped. Um, <laughs> so it was. Um, I think seeing my name on the team sheet the week before and knowing that I was starting against Gloucester in a preseason friendly, because I saw their team sheet and at the time in my head I was thinking, ah, oh, you know, it's just going to be like a second team Gloucester team. You know, like didn't think much of it at the time just thought okay this is the next step this is time for me to kind of step up and improve myself you know prove exactly why i'm here like why i'm training with this squad um and just kind of make a name for myself early on really um it wasn't until i guess kind of halfway through the first half they had a couple of players that went off and they started bringing on the bloody british lions and that, that's when it kind of clicked that i was like actually shit i'm actually playing a, a premiership team here like i'm not <laughs> like this isn't some academy side that i'm playing against like this is actually you know um and i think that's when the penny dropped um for me it was a good 20 minutes since that first half um and yeah and then come the second half it was a complete change on teams like it was all the all the starting gloucester players and um i guess the next realization was having my head shoved through my ass by tom palmer on a clear out that was probably the uh, yeah. <laughs> highlight of your career. <laughs> yeah, the highlight of my career. That was uh, that was kind of the wake up call to I guess what was coming. Um yeah. you know, you don't you know, as, as a as a player that's stepping into that level it's it's um you don't know the ins and outs of, of professional rugby. It's my first kind of taste of it and it and it takes something like that. It takes a moment like that for you to think, Okay, I need to wake up here, like this is happening. Um yeah, yeah. and yeah, and then yeah, and then that kind of led to me starting. I think it was kind of the first first twelve games of the championship season. Yeah, so, yeah. Nice. Oh, I just want to point out as well. Absolutely love going down to Gloucester to King's Home <laughs> to watch you play. Listening to the shed, um, sort of giving it a bit of a racket for a preseason game. But my highlight was meeting Saria McGeekin after the game as he walked past. <laughs> I'm just putting that one out there. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, okay. So you obviously twelve games with, with Yorkshire. Um, by yep. this time, university was sort of coming to an end, wasn't it? You sort of, you know, you you'd done your, your few years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you had you had a, a pretty serious AC joint injury as well, didn't you? Through through yeah. that. So, so essentially, what yeah, what what had happened is I'd had those had those games. I think it's kind of a mix of. You know, one, I'm not used to the pressures of that training. I, you know, I am, you know, I'm going from a university setup into, you know, essentially a full-time setup, right? And, and doing my studies alongside. Um, I was, yeah, I was coming to the end of my three years. I was about to start, start the master's program at the university. And yeah, it was at that kind of point where, um, yeah, I think my body had just not kind of shut down, but it was just, it, it hadn't got used to the impacts. It hadn't got got quite used to, to everything that was going on. It was having a bit of a shock to the to the full time training. And as much as I'm relishing in that, you know, I love I love the training side of things. You know, I love being in the weights room around the boys. That you know, I love that that kind of camaraderie of it all. Um, it did take its toll uh, mentally and physically. Um, you know, it was a kind of a, a shock to the system. Um, and I think that kind of ultimately showed. You know, when when started wear and tear started picking up, um, and then. Eventually, yeah, I had a had a grade one uh, on the shoulder, um, had a, a cortisone injection, and that's what people usually do with the grade one cortisone. A couple of weeks off, and then straight back into training. Um, and then, yeah, the following game, uh, pop just completely went. Um, 
yeah, whole thing. Um, ended up having to have surgery on it. Um, and then, yeah, that then put me out until probably February, March um, of the following year. And then by then, there was only what, a month left of the season. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, university, finished yeah. up at university. You were looking to come back down down south anyway. So how did the how did the Ealing thing come about? Now I know I suppose again injury curtailed that really, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, injury curtailed that, yeah. So um they brought in a new coach um at Yorkshire, that was Brian Redpath at the time. Um he clearly had uh big visions on bringing in players. Um and you know, it just professional rugby you know, I'd be lying if I say, you know, at the end of the day, their business is right. It's a, it's a cutthroat business at times. Um, do you think and... that's a championship in general, though? Like, do we see, yeah. we, we see that we see it in the news all the time about, about how, you know, the, they're having to manage squads on a shoestring budget, and then, yeah. and is, I think you, you know, I think you put it, put it quite aptly. Was it your like? You've got you wrote a blog, was it? Yeah. Yeah, not about, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so sort of about, you know, the, the 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 pressures of what it what the championship is about really and like how cutthroat it can be. Um yeah. yeah. There's there's been a few like people have I know there's a couple of guys, you know, I'll mention um a couple of guys in in the champ. I mean, there was a guy called um Ben Hooper. He he actually put it, I think there was an article out about a uh, championship being essentially the wild west. Uh, it is the wild west of, of professional rugby. I mean, it's it's pretty cutthroat. Um, you know, like uh, yeah, yeah, like exactly. I mean, it's you know, if you're if you're fit uh, and you're healthy and you're playing well, you're looked after, right? Um, if you're picking up niggles, um, regardless if you're playing well, um, they have they have to kind of cut their losses and and um, make ends meet, right? So it's yeah. So Brian came in. Um, he clearly had a big vision of the club. He brought in a couple of new second rows as well. Um, guys that have played six, seven years in the premiership. So naturally my, my order and the pecking order kind of went down. Um, and then, yeah, it was, I continued to train with Carnegie, but that's when I kind of almost had that first step in, played uh, that first season in the champ and then kind of stepped back and just, I essentially became a bag holder <laughs> for the kind of tail end of the next season. What was it? What um, it juice? <laughs> yeah, bin juice. Yeah, became bin juice. Um, yeah, <laughs> became bin juice for the tail end of the next season, and just played and just continued to play at a kind of senior player for the university. Because by then, the that Bucks League had started becoming. I guess it's it's been getting a lot more kind of publicity, and people are starting to notice it a lot yeah. more now. Um, yeah. Okay, so you, yeah, you're then down at Ealing. Bit of a nasty injury with your groin, um, and then yeah. so did you? Uh, did you actually get any game time with them? No, no. Um, so um, had the did the full preseason. Not going to lie, was probably in probably the best shape of my life. Um, it was kind of Ealing play on a on a four G. Yeah, um, and yeah, they just kind of expected me to be a, a little bit lighter, um, a little bit quicker. So. Managed to get down to a good weight. Um, how the opportunity, opportunity came about, they actually ended up signing three of us from Leeds. Leeds met that year. It was myself, um, uh, Lewis Jones, um, and uh, who else was it? I think Sam Rodman joined the year before. Um, and then I think that was it, really. Um, yeah, and then, um, yeah, so we ended up going down there and yeah, did the whole preseason, got into really good shape. And then on the build-up towards... I think it was that was only a couple of weeks before the first kind of preseason friendly. Um, bing, yeah, the adductor went. Um, just yeah, just in a in a in a normal session. Um, and then uh, yeah, and then didn't think anything of it. Uh, went to the physios. They were kind of they were just kind of saying, oh, it's, it's a hernia. It's you know it's nothing major. You know it's going to be a sports hernia." I uh, wanted to get a second opinion, um, so managed to sort out a sort of second opinion, um, and then had a couple of ultrasounds. The guy just, guy couldn't find my adductor, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so tore my adductor off my pelvis. That had uh, that required surgery, um, and then that was yeah, again that was pretty much. Um, I was out until the following, 
following Seb. End of yeah, Seb. I was say, so another, like, again, you highlight that point, like another championship club, another, like, people on the, like, trying to manage on a, on a shoestring budget that they're given. Yep. So any sort of, not necessarily cannon fodder, but any anyone sort of, you know, on the books that they're paying that they're not getting their money's worth out of, then, yeah, you're right, it is cutthroat, and they are looking to sort of offload people um, to try yeah. and keep that budget budget alive. So yeah. from, from there, then, you literally moved closer to home even more, and you, <laughs> you yeah, signed, for, signed for Isha, in, Isha. In, National, in National One, and you went down to part-time training. Yeah, so it was off the back of off the back of um, uh, yeah, I, I guess where I kind of had my my epiphany or my my re- my sudden realization of I I can't keep doing this. Um, you know, I I have you know if if I can't get through a full season at the moment, I've gone four seasons without kind of not having a niggle. Um, you know, I would have been what at the time twenty six, yeah, twenty six, twenty seven at the time, twenty six. Yeah, um, at the time, um, and yeah, just kind of said like enough's enough. Um, you know, I'd much rather be able to play part time, still enjoy um, having a good professional standard of training, but also be able to have a career in something else. I had other career aspirations. I had, you know, I wanted to do something else as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Isha came up. Uh, you know, I just kind of spoke to a few friends and and, and just kind of said like, you know, what's the possibility of Isha? Um, looking around and they were like, look, we're in need of a, of a new second row, especially someone that's coming down the league uh, that can offer something. Um, and I was just like, yeah, you know, absolutely fantastic. Put my hand up. Um, and then, yeah, Isha came about. They looked after me extremely well. Um, you know, I had, I guess I'm going to delve into my experiences in the champ right now, but I had two very, very different experiences in the championship. I obviously had Leeds Carnegie or, or Yorkshire Carnegie, a very kind of family orientated club, um, you know, very, very, very passionate, um, you know, and, they do look after their players well, right? You know, like they are, they do look after players well. Um, you know, as far as I'm, as far as I know, the people that, that I've spoken with there have, have always had a good experience. I, I had a good experience there, but you know, it's, um, you know, I realised yeah, I, I was still a part. I think with them looking at it now, like where they are going down international, oh, yeah. like it's, yeah. I think it's more behind the scenes stuff that's yeah. going on rather than the actual yeah. playing environment. Yeah, yeah, I think they've yeah they've put a lot of money um, into players in the past um, that subsequently obviously hasn't like hasn't paid off right so um, but um, yeah and then um, I was unfortunately obviously still tied with the university so I had you know I had two kind of duties there and, and obviously being tied with the university I was overlooked by uh, professional yeah. players which makes absolute sense you know it's it's logical um, why would you pay top dollar for someone and not, and not play them right um, yeah. and. Then obviously Ealing, um, yeah, very different story in terms of Ealing. I mean, yeah, like I, a good club, good history. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I was looked after to the best of standard. Um, I'm going to chuck that out there. I, you know, if I get backlash, whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't say I was looked after um, at the best of, of standard. Um, and then subsequently, off the back of that, um, I was supposed to return to to playing ability um but instead they let me go early off that so i ended up um joining isha um and isha within within three four weeks um of me coming to the end of my rehab they had me they had me starting they had me had me on the pitch they had me moving so you know i had a had a great um great experience there again like you know they've always been good yeah fab okay so then we're Isha, a couple of seasons at Isha, and you take that big dive over into Hong Kong. And like you said, you know, you're you're there because you're there because of you know what what it offers and and the fact yeah. that you want you wanted to get involved in the corporate world and it's a, a good place to start, a really good yeah. place to start. So you you took that lunge and it's it's good going out and seeing a bit of the world as well. I wanted to travel. I wanted to find somewhere that had a good travel hub. Hong Kong was it, but at the same time. I wanted somewhere where I could play competitive rugby, um, where I knew there were players that were coming from a similar standard. What's um, the club you're at at the moment? Uh, USRC Tigers. Okay, nice. So they won. They won the Saxo Championship like two years ago. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying it. The rugby, like, it's very, very competitive. It's getting better year on year. The Hong Kong Union is is pretty. It's pretty exceptional. Um, you know, they do have a good setup there, um, and. It's, and you, you get yeah, the they have a bit of the Hong Kong Sevens. 
Yeah, exactly. That's a benefit of Hong Kong summer. That's a, that's a weekend to enjoy. Oh, I don't know if any of your, if anyone listening on here that, that has ever been. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a weekend to write you off for the next week. Like you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to um, out next Easter. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. Uh, yeah, it's in the Easter holidays, isn't it? So I can get time off to go. So fab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's been it's been moved to October this year, I think, with the the whole COVID situation. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so we've touched on your club history. Um, and one thing we haven't mentioned throughout all of this is the fact that you also represented England students and England counties. So from your perspective, what was it like to pull on a jersey with the red rose on? Um, yeah, I think, you know, in in any, any capacity, you know, I think representing your country, it's, you know, makes you... I don't know, it gives you an immense uh, sense of achievement. It makes you very, very proud um, to represent your country. Um, you know, I think that they're, they're both fantastic avenues um, for players within that student capacity and also that kind of national league capacity to have an opportunity um, of representing their country. Um, so it's a fantastic pathway um, in terms of, I guess, giving players that recognition. Um, and it's also a fantastic pathway to play along alongside players that, you know, I guess have also been selected under the same circumstances as well. Um, you know, you all come together over, you know, a few week period before you play um, a few international caps. Uh, for students, it was against France uh, and Ireland. Um, and then for counties, we actually went on on tour. We went over to Romania and played a played a three game test uh, in Romania. Um, and it gives you, I guess, an opportunity to play, um, especially at the county level, to play um, play teams that I guess are on the fringe um, of that World Cup kind of uh, qualifying teams. Um, you know, I know Romania have obviously had a a little bit of a you know um, bit of history there with them. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's great to have the opportunity to to represent on on an international stage. Um, I guess at the highest standard that's available to you right yeah well all i know is that mum and dad were so glad that they managed to get out to see you in in, um, in romania to watch you play yeah. that, like they were absolutely stoked i think it was a i think it's a memory that will stay with them forever so it was uh yeah it was a hell of an experience we we did uh it was it ended up being like two weeks i think we were over there um, almost. Um, we did a week's kind of training um, at quite high altitude, uh, pretty much near Transylvania, <laughs> up in the kind of like almost like near a ski resort and things like that. So that was good fun. And then the following week, we kind of crammed, well, the following 10 days, I guess, we kind of crammed in three tests, um, mix and match the squad. Um, I started two and came off the bench on one. Um, so yeah, it was a yeah, really, really good experience and, and great insane. to kind of see how other international teams that are i guess on the fringe of breaking that qualifying like kind of qualifying for the world cup how their kind of setups are and stuff yeah so yeah like you said it must have been an amazing experience and one you'll probably never forget yeah yeah it was yeah it was great it was you know you see a good bunch of lads and you also see whether they're kind of going to now or, or where they've moved on to and things and, you know people do get a lot of recognition on that stage you know i know there's a bunch of lads that have ended up going on to play in championship clubs a couple have ended up picking up um premiership contract so you know again it's another pathway if you come through that that kind of representative uh pathway as well it's another pathway that leads you to getting recognition um and you know certainly one that's deserved so it's, yeah so quite a quite a fitting thing for your journey as a rugby player anyway yeah yeah and it's definitely something great for the cv you get you get the shirts um you know you fucking you keep the shirts and and uh, yeah, it's a great, great piece of memorabilia to have, and it's it's a it's a memory that you hold on for a lifetime. Brilliant, fantastic. Who on the way has been big influences on you? So obviously, like I, I know for me, um, so moving forward, like there, there's a couple of coaches that that sort of have helped me, maybe push me in certain directions, or have been just a really quality coach that I've learned a lot of. Um, so for yeah. me, like three three people. So one would be uh, Gerald Shaler, okay, at Cranley, Cranley Rugby Club, my, my coach all the way through age group rugby. Um, literally didn't settle for anything other than hard work and graft. And I think that yep. was reflected in, in our age group. Um, 
obviously Tony Robinson. Um, obviously our old big, big like following, big history in the game. Um, yep. I, I believe he's a he's a coach educator now um, with the RFU or has been. So yeah. he he had a big influence through school of which direction trying to push people and again just showing you know telling you the rights and wrongs. Um, and always been there as like a support thing. So if you ever needed someone to talk to, he was there. And for me, the other person was Neil McGovern at Brighton. Okay. Um, just sort of, you know, gave, was able to give me the confidence to be able to play probably, if I'm being honest, to the, the top level that I could be when I was injury free. Okay. Yep. Um, so three guys from me that influenced me. So you've had quite a varied journey. What, what would yeah. you be? What like who who in your um, journey? Who has sort of influenced you along the way? Yeah. Okay. Well, I could be really cliche in terms of sport and say you and Dad to get me into the sport, but I won't give you the benefit of that. I think I'm just them dragging you along wherever they went because they didn't find a babysitter. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess. Um, for me, I think uh, one big name for me has uh, been kind of a second team coach and academy coach at Isha. Uh, probably gave me the realisation that, that I could go somewhere. Um, that was David Cholcraft, um, exceptional coach. Um, David Cholcraft. Okay. Um, exceptional coach. Um, he's, I guess, been involved in Isha for quite some time now. His own son came through the setup as well. Um, and yeah, he kind of gave me that realization that, you know, I could actually make something of this. Um, I think following on from that, um, there's a few names. Um, Colin Stevens, um, he was kind of the, uh, the main coach at Leeds at the time when I got there, Leeds Met um, coach. Um, he, uh, yeah, he, he saw potential in me. He kind of, he's the one that kind of sorted out the, the opportunity with, with Carnegie and, and kind of how that moved forward. By the way, he had to drop goal for Clenetley against Australia in whatever game in the 70s. So <laughs> you can probably see that on YouTube or something. Um, yeah, amazing character. Um, and then also, I guess for pushing me, probably in the most unorthodox fashion, um, you know, I think rugby rugby personalities take, you know, there's players that, that, that hide from pressure. Uh, there's players that, that need more, more consolidation. Um, you know, on, on how they can move forward. Um, for me, it was, I just needed a, a kick up the backside at times. Um, and Tommy McGee um, offered that. Um, he was the forwards coach at Leeds Met. Um, very, yeah, very, very bold character. Um, now a salmon farmer uh, in the north of Scotland somewhere. Um, but um, yeah, he, yeah, I had a funny experience with him the first time I ever met him as a fresher um, standing in, a bar toilet um, and uh, up rocks behind me is my new coach who is probably six foot three and probably 135, 40 kilos. <laughs> and is just oh, stood behind yeah. me. Yeah, and the last place you want to be stood meeting your new coach is in the urinal of a bar in Leeds Town Centre. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so him as well. Um, and then in later years, um, uh, I'd probably say a guy named Kerry uh, that joined um, joined the club at the end. I guess at the end of uh, my university days as well. These were guys that have kind of molded me. So David uh, Cholcraft, probably the realization that I could go somewhere. Um, Colin Stevens for being that support and actually kind of pushing me to to try out uh, getting involved in professional setups um, and also keeping me involved in rugby at the university as well, offering offering things and and uh, actually kind of pushing me there. And then Tommy McGee for just giving me that kick up the backside when needed it, you know, uh, you know, just kind of keeping me moving and, and giving me clear direction. They clearly saw something in me that at the time I, I didn't when I first went to university. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Right. Um, so obviously we've touched on, you know, uh, people who have sort of given you, given you a bit of direction, given you a bit of a kick up the arse, um, a few people that, you know, that you look back on and go, actually, they've had an influence. Um, so yeah. if you were, if you were you, okay, go back, yeah. go back to say you're 14, 15, okay, maybe 16, okay. you're just starting college, all right? Yep. You're not, you know, like 
it, it's but I, I understand it's very different these days with all these like development player pathways and parts of academies yeah. and if you're part of this and you're part of that but like you said universities are a great breeding ground for yeah. people that might have been missed for people that yeah. have got that ability um but just haven't been picked up or have just developed a bit later than others um so if you were going back to being that 16 year old you've just got to say you've just got to Godalming college you're there you've got yep. your rugby career ahead of you what advice would you give to that 16 year old um i think now with 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 the professional pathways i mean at that age yeah you you know you probably missed the uh, like if you're not in an a setup or if you're not in a school affiliated with a professional setup you're yeah you're playing you're essentially about to start playing adult rugby, gritty rugby, county rugby, things like that, you know, all the kind of representative stuff. Um, at that age, you know, I'd say don't don't worry. Don't look at the other teams and be like, oh, okay, like these guys are going to make it, you know, like they're, they're, uh, they're in those setups. They're, they're being, they're being, uh, they're being fed, right? They, you know, they're, they're being looked after very well. Um, you know, I'd say, don't worry, keep, keep your, keep yourself motivated, keep working hard. And there's plenty of other avenues to be, to be picked up and get affiliated with clubs. If you, you know, you find yourself in, in a national team, in a national national league club, you can get picked up. If you find yourself going to university, um, find yourself at a university that, that is affiliated with, with the team, um, whether it be championship, national league or, or premiership, you know, there, there's plenty of opportunity out there to, to get involved with, with setups that'll give you a taste into adult rugby. I think, you know, it's most importantly is that you enjoy it. Um, you know, some people might not enjoy the full-time rugby. It is very, very different than, than part-time rugby. It is very, very taxing on the body. Uh, it is very tiring mentally and physically. Um, and not everyone, not everyone enjoys that kind of thing. You know, some people want to do it socially. Some people want to really go for it. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think for me, m most importantly, um, enjoy it. Like enjoy the rugby, uh, surround yourself with positive people, uh, enjoy the players around you that motivate you and also ultimately figure out, you know, how you be, like how you can be motivated as well. Like, you know, um, speak to your coaches, um, always, always, um, always have um, good coercion with your coaches, with your coaches as well. Um, build a good relationship, good rapport, um, help them coach you um, and get the best out of you as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Nice little, nice little insight, nice little piece of advice for someone. Just keep, keep yourself motivated and surround yourself with positive people and just yeah. keep on that path, isn't it? It's about yeah. never giving up, never giving up. Okay, so you're a, you know, you're, you're a player that's played, you know, playing or at that level, at say level two, three, and four around. Now, yep. we see it in the championship, okay, where you've got professional outfits competing against semi-professional outfits. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Um, yep. or, or we, did, or we did see it. I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head whether all the teams in the championship are now professional. I don't know. Um, however, it's something that relates back down the league. So you take London one, London two, London three to a degree, London okay. Premier, the old national three. Um, yeah. Payment of players. So it's the same thing. Okay. It's the same yeah. thing. So, you know, you've got, in one hand, you've got a league where you, you've got people that are full-time and people that are part-time. And then you go work down the leagues, you've got people that are paying players and clubs that aren't. Yep. So similar arguments, similar similar setup. Do you think there's a need for more structure in the, in the league system in England? In the sense of that you can have a set amount of semi-pro leagues and then it goes amateur. So it starts off as amateur, then it becomes semi-pro. And that way, you then start creating better competitions. Because if you've, oh, got, cool. if you've got clubs that are paying players, then the guys are going to want to go to... The better guys are going to want to go to where the money is. Now, if yep. all the better guys are going to where the money is, it creates a better competition. So you've got teams that are being paid playing against teams that are being paid rather than teams that are being paid against teams that aren't, okay? Yep. 
then the amateur leagues then become more competitive because you're windling out those players that are getting paid. So then it becomes more competitive for them, becomes more competitive for the semi-pros. When it gets to the professional outfits, do you think there's merit in ring fencing the premiership and then making everything else semi-pro below? Or do you think it clubs in the championship would feel hard done by because of their some of their professional natures? Okay. So we'll go start your first question, which was payment of players and, and how it should be structured. I think we could break it down even more than that. Um, there should be structure within teams as well for payment of players. Um, so I guess my first point would be, um, say, for example, in the championship, you've got professional players, by all means, that have dropped down from the premiership, whatever, you know, they're on, on big bucks. You know, that's, that's the way it is. You've got your marquee, your marquee signings, right? Um, then you have academy players, which are training just as much as those guys, right? But they're on, I mean, I've heard of people being paid eight grand a year, eight to 15 grand a year, you know, for that. That's not a full-time wage, right? So my argument is that if you're a full-time player, you should be paid a full-time wage, okay? Irrespective of whether you're an academy player, irrespective of where you come from, like, yes, you're going to have your marquee signings, you're going to have your players that are on more, but there should be a bottom bracket, a full-time wage where it starts, okay? Not eight to 15 grand. That's not livable, right? You're expected to train full-time, you know, and then, yeah, live off that, especially around the London League. So you have that. If So that's my argument for, say, championship level, um, because we know below there is it's all part-time. Um, in terms of payment of players in terms of a structure, yeah. Uh, we look at Wales recently, what's happened over there uh, with uh, a couple of teams being, you know, um, scrutinised for payment of players and things like that. Um, so I do think there should be a cut-off. Um, I do think um, that, yeah, Premiership, that kind of speaks for itself, but Championship, again, uh, almost speaks for itself in terms of whether they establish as a semi-professional club or a professional club. They should have, uh, they should establish that early on, and they should have the wages that suit that, right? Um, national one and below, I think those national leagues should essentially be a semi-professional outfit, um, although they are kind of an amateur, they are under an amateur title. Um, it, you know, it, it's essentially part-time playing, but you're being paid. Uh, I know some people in National One and National Two clubs that are getting paid more than guys in the championship, right? So it's, it's, yeah, it's that's kind of where where the discrepancy lies is in those three leagues there. Um, and I think that there should be, I, I don't know, a tiered system in terms of how much you can pay a player or something within those leagues, but they should be the set semi-professional leagues. I do think, in my mind, in an ideal world, London One and below. You know that national three should be kind of the striving point for everyone um, to get into those national leagues. Like national leagues should be seen as like you know the place to be for any kind of local club, right? Um, and below that, yeah, I think it should all be amateur. Um, you know, I think it should be amateur. Um, if you want to make that London one league more competitive by you know having a certain salary or a certain kind of pay per play kind of scheme sort of thing, then by all means. But like it's. Yeah, I think it's very, very difficult to to bring that in, and something that's been it's been honed over so many so many years of just you know people getting people getting brown envelopes after a game on a Saturday kind of thing, right? It's yeah, that's where <laughs> that, that still yeah. happens. That still happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. London three, yeah. London two, sort of you know, it still happens. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Um, but I do think those national leagues should be kind of made almost like the football, right? Like almost like uh, you know how those leagues are paid below um, and semi-professional. Um, in terms of um, ring fencing, now I have kind of two views on this. Um, <laughs> so I I do think we can take a lot out of the Southern Hemisphere Rugby's book in terms of ring fencing. If we did ring fence, if we did do that, you would have to invite two teams from the championship up that could survive in that league um, and give them the backing, i.e. those that have the infrastructure. Um, then championship would essentially become... Um, the way I see it, you would have the affiliated clubs in the championship that are affiliated with the clubs in the Prem, and they would almost act as like a feeder, you know, similar to what they do in ours, similar to what they do in New Zealand. Well, the, thing, um, the thing, the way I see it is that if you had the championship as the highest level, yep. any club 
any club in the country can get to. Yeah. yeah. I think that that then speaks for itself. If you make if you made it all semi-professional, so like no full-time training, just training two, three times two, three times a week. Okay. Yep. Um, and you make it so that you know the the highest level that any club in the country can get to is the championship. And if you can get there, fantastic. A lot of the national one, yep. national two teams, that is their aim. Their aim is to get to the top of the championship. Yep. The premiership then becomes that uh, it's almost like a a ring fenced league where the best players from those leagues are being pulled into them yep. teams and yep. that's the aim so rather than people going on loan and people doing this that and the other a bit like football i think the the premiership teams can go this is our squad this is the amount of money we have this is our squad and yep. you pull players in and you you pull the best talent in from them leagues yeah, you know for sure. And, for sure. and then for yeah. any club in the country like for instance you take i don't know why i just take any club in national two for instance they might have the ambition to go to the championship now but they've got to then think about money they've got to think about how they're then going to be able to compete with some professional outfits how are they going to do that Whereas if you made everything from championship below semi-professional, okay, that then probably wouldn't matter as much. And it becomes a bit more of a fairer playing field and it gives a bit more of ambition to a lot of clubs to try and reach that, that goal. Reach that level, yeah. And for players, knowing that actually you can play the highest level of club rugby, but the real goal is to be picked up by one of the big teams in the premiership. You know, yeah. and it, it yeah. sort of changes the dynamics a little bit of about how you go around trying to, you know, trying to make it as a as a team, um, make it professionally. But yeah. it also means that those professional teams can pick the best talent available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that could work. Okay, nice, nice little yeah. discussion. <laughs> um, right. Um, one thing I wanted to finish on is I think a lot of people. Um, don't necessarily take for granted. Uh, well, that's probably the wrong way of putting it. A lot of people don't really understand and recognise how much hard work and how much sacrifice it probably takes to try and make it at the highest level. Yeah, and I, I mean, from just from purely from like a you know a, a family perspective, and and you know, obviously as brothers, that I've seen the sacrifices that you like made along the way like yeah. uh to try and you know keep that contract at yorkshire for instance or you know the sacrifice you've made to try and be in the best possible shape that you can possibly be from your perspective what what does it really take in the sense of yeah. that sacrifice but also is it do you think it's worth making if you look back now is it worth making all them sacrifices again if you were to do it again or do you think actually no i'll do this differently but it's just sort of given a picture of what it actually takes to try and make reach that goal yeah yeah okay yeah i i mean in, a, in an ideal world like i wouldn't want to look back on everything and, and be like i'd change this and change that but but we're humans right we're, we're always over analyzing we're always looking back at things and saying yeah. how we do things differently um Again, by no means, you know, did I reach the top in my career. I do felt I could have gone a lot further. Um, it was nowhere near as glamorous as as most. Um, you know, I think for me, the challenges that I had along the side is that I was obviously studying masters alongside. Um, I had I had very very little free time, um, yeah. so I certainly had to sacrifice the kind of traditional university experience in the later years. <laughs> you know, I couldn't go out and kind of and, and booze all the boys. I couldn't, you know, be getting drunk every week and, and enjoying myself. I, you know, I had to look after myself uh, to some extent. Um, so you do make the small sacrifices. Those are small things um, uh, in the grand scheme of things. I think how I would have done things differently. Um, you know, I don't think there was much I could have done differently. Um, you know, I've sat down and, and thought long and hard about this in terms of um, what I could have changed. Um, 
there's not a lot that comes to mind um, just because I know that everything that happened to me throughout my career wasn't within my control. Um, so, for example, the two injuries, like the two major injuries, you know, it's out of my control, right? You know, a big thing that, that we're kind of taught, um, big thing that I learned on my degree is that you control the controllables, right? So everything within your control is, you know, yeah, if it was in my control, I'd be, I'd be very much upset about it. I'd be quite bitter about it, to be frank. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Um, you, in terms of sacrifices, you do, you just have to look after yourself. Um, you know, be build rapport with the right coaches. Um, you know, learn how to be coached. Um, you know, I think a lot of the top players um, that, that we see in the Premiership these days, yeah, they're they're athletes, they're specimens, whatever. But at the end of the day, they're there for a reason, and that's because they know how to be coached. Um, you know, the coaches know how to coach them as well, and that's from constant feedback from both parties. So, you know, the the sooner that there is, I guess, the classroom rapport away from the training ground as well, the the further that you're going to kind of learn more about yourself and the further you're going to go. Brilliant. Right. Always like to finish on this. Okay. So, <laughs> trying, to do, like, trying to do sort of like an idol 15. So, who, idol you know, who, who were people's idols growing up? Um, to say <laughs> just some of the names we've had so far. So, you've got Lawrence Delalio sitting in yep. at eight, you've got Jonah Lomu on one wing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Will, Will Greenwood sitting in at center. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, so they're just to name a few, all right. But in uh, hopefully after episode eight, nine, we start getting a good fifteen together. But yep. growing up, so I know you started rugby late. Um, yeah. So going through your thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen age group, who was sort of yep. your rugby rugby idol as such? Growing up, um, there was so many. Um... I'd probably say I don't know. I'll keep it within the within the roots. But for me, it was always uh, knowing that I was at a club where where the likes of Simon Shaw had been, um, and obviously Dad Dad knew Simon Shaw to some extent, um, and that he was a good kind of friend of the club, and he was very very familiar with the club. I, it was always kind of somewhere where I aspired to be. Um, so I think for me, although probably seen as the unsung hero of kind of second rows in English rugby. You know, he he's probably similar in terms of the international outfit. He could have gone a lot further, I think. And he missed out on a lot of opportunities. But um yeah, I'd probably say Simon Shaw. Simon Shaw in a in a four. We'll go. Simon Shaw. Nice. Definitely, yeah. Definitely a bit of a cult hero at Cranley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the first thing anyone tells you about. Oh, did you know Simon Shaw used to play here? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, and then we... the shirts are up on the shirts are up on the bloody on the wall. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, he was um uh, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of good things to be said about about Simon Shaw around the international yeah. circuit. And you're right, I think that he he didn't get as many England caps probably as he as he warranted or as he got. Yeah. yeah. Um I think ha- hampered by the fact that there was uh, just a certain guy called Martin Johnson sitting in a number four chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, or Liam, it's been absolute pleasure just catching up and talking a bit of rugby with you. Uh, we don't obviously yeah, do no this, often, um, but really, you know, really good to get a little bit of an insight into your story. Um, yeah. it, I think getting some getting some stories out there for for all the listeners, just to sort of hear about people's different perspectives and you know what actually has gone on in on their journey and and the, how yeah. different they can they can be to to a lot, um, you know how different they can be per person really so for you it's different to someone else and i think just getting the stories getting you know getting a bit of information bit of discussion out there as uh, from someone that's played around that level has been has been really good so again yeah thank you liam thanks for joining me yeah, pleasure been nice to nice to reflect <laughs> yeah nice absolutely to, yeah, nice to reflect on it. <laughs> Okay, right. So um, next week, uh, episode five, we will be joined by Stockwood Park Rugby Club, uh, currently playing their trade in Midlands 3 East and looking forward to catching up with them. Now, they're obviously with rugby on a bit on the decline at the moment that 
clubs are struggling, struggling to attract players, struggling to get teams out. They've got a little bit of a success story from the past season, so we're going to touch on that. Um, and we're just going to talk all things Stockwood Park and a little bit of general chit-chat again. So we're going to get another club on and we're going to get to know them. Again, thanks for listening, guys. Okay, go, uh, go follow the Facebook page. Go follow the Instagram page and just keep sharing. Cheers, guys. Thank you. See you next week.